happy tennis Christmas party. <laughs> you, me and Sven was yes. the tennis Christmas party. And Great I'm, party. I'm exhausted. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm absolute. It's a different kind of Christmas party because yesterday we had a Christmas party for ATP Tennis Radio at Wimbledon. Yes. All got dressed up. Yeah, very nice. Had a lovely lunch, a proper Christmas lunch. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. Well, I didn't. I had pork, but... I don't know why you I did didn't that. I don't know why you did that. You had the option of a full Christmas lunch. I think you were just being difficult. But it's it was only, a proper... <laughs> only thing I can think of is that you were being difficult. Well, I wasn't the only one, but um, it was a proper Christmas do, wasn't it? Yeah. I suppose. Yeah. And it was nice. Really, really nice. Lots of trees, baubles, that sort of thing. It was Christmassy. And then we got another Christmas party today because it's tennis Christmas party different kind of Christmas party I mean it, I think if when people hear about our Christmas party I'm not sure there'll be many people going god I wish I'd been invited to that well I mean I'm so tired I'm so exhausted <laughs> but it, not from either Christmas party no uh, every part of me aches and I just want to go to bed <laughs> yeah. yeah can I just so, say everybody never work with an athlete former current anything do not get involved with an athlete why we're great we went running for an hour <laughs> for, our, for our Christmas party. It kicked off the Christmas party. Kicked off, kicked off. By the time we got to where we were going for lunch, we were exhausted and we yeah. were wet. And then we had to get back. <laughs> and then that it, was the worst bit. We, after lunch, we thought, mm, we actually need to get back now. It was quite a far walk to, to get back the distance <laughs> we had run. But it's been a long, active but, uh, you know, fulfilling so day. So tired, so tired. We just, just sat on the sofa I'm just, now. I'm just, just so tired. And the funny, the funny thing, well, if it was funny, is that the, on part of the, and it's the kind of run, because you've come up to see me and it's the run I've been trying to do every day. And there's a little bit of a hill towards one part of it. And I just try and give it a little bit of something extra. Not yeah, you were off. Well. You just went. Well, I wasn't exactly out of sight. I was walking <laughs> by that point. <laughs> but I just try and go a little bit faster up the hill. So I was kind of giving it everything, thinking at the top, I can stop for a little bit. And as I got to the top, my phone rang. And there's a friend of mine, Claire, who's been working on the Rugby World Cup. She's been out of the country for nine months. And I really wanted to speak to her. So I answered the phone going, ah, ah, and all I hear was, it's not how I thought this conversation would begin. And for about a minute, I couldn't speak. I was just going, oh, it's me. I'm here. How are you? And I think genuinely she feared for me for about the first 20 seconds or so, because it was just, it was heavy. I was absolutely knackered. I mean, it was genuine, but I really wanted to speak to her. Yeah, I was, I was impressed you answered the phone at that moment because it was proper kind of, you can't talk, can't do anything sort moment and it took you it took quite a while before you actually got out the fact that you have just run up a hill <laughs> you kept trying to say it but you were so out of breath <laughs> and at the end I, I sent her a photo I said I'm, I'm with Naomi and, and Sven and I sent her a photo just so she really did believe me because it just sounded so I mean the first words I heard were it's not how I thought this would start and I was like no I really wanted to speak to you <gasps> So for anyone out there who thinks that we know how to have fun, it's evident that we don't <laughs> by <laughs> the content of our Christmas party. That was, <laughs> that was a, and then when we'd, we'd sat down having, having a really nice lunch and Sven got free sausages because... For being cute. The yeah. pub was called the Fox and Hounds. Yeah, and he looks like a fox and he looks and like a, a fox. And, oh yeah, and I he's a fox and a hound, he's both of it. And they were so excited in the pub that we didn't get anything free on our Christmas party day. But Sven got some sausages. Yeah. It's all right. Yeah, no, he tend- he's a bit of a charmer. 
tends to do that when he's not shouting. He's a bit of a charmer. And then, yeah, then we had to, we, and it was a good hour we were running for. Yeah, we spent, over we, an hour. We had to get back. <laughs> that was just, that was just harder. And then when we got back, it's like, okay, now we're going to do the podcast. And I thought, oh, they, we did this the wrong way around. Yeah, I just, yeah. We should have done it before we set off or when we got to the pub. Well, we kind of wanted to get the run done, didn't we? But maybe we should have got the podcast done. I think we should have done. Because <laughs> so, I'm not, I'm not sure how much of an enjoyable listen this is going to be. <laughs> because if you look at us now, there'll be no pictures from today. <laughs> we just look like wet messes. Yeah, I mean, it was raining and it was fairly windy. A typical December day really in the uk have you ever gone out in your street in your pajamas yes all the time i have a dog to walk at 10 o'clock at night <laughs> in your pajamas well sometimes i get into my pajamas forgetting that i still have to walk sven but then you get out of them no then i just go well i pack a jacket on so it's only the bottom do half. they look like pajamas yeah they they, they could pass for very casual trousers mm. like kind of loungy trousers sort of thing right so i mean i could definitely wear them to the shop or possibly on a plane, that oh, sort people, of thing. Oh, so they're not really pajamas. Well, they are. Not really. So they're just they're just kind of comfy cotton trousers. It's not really pajamas. pajamas it's not no. pajama pajamas. But I'm often I often get changed and get into bed and then realise oh he hasn't been for a pee for a while. I should probably take him out. I had Poor that thing. when I got back from our lovely lunch at Wimbledon yesterday. I had to park and people who live in residential areas and you can't park legally then you have to get up really early to move the car before you get done. So I suddenly remembered this morning I had to do that and I had my pyjamas on. So I put a coat on, shoes, off I went, thinking I'd be able to park near the house. <laughs> I ended up parking quite far away and I sat in the car thinking, so it's rush hours, lots of people around, and that kind of commuting time. And I, my pyjamas look like pyjamas. They can be nothing other than pyjamas. But I don't understand what you mean by that. I mean, unless they're like shorts. You know, they're like the sort of check pyjamas. I mean, they look yeah. like... Yeah. Uh, okay, fine. They look like pyjamas. Okay. They look, look like lounge. Like tartan. Yeah, sort of. Well, but they look like... Honestly, they look, I don't think anyone will even notice. They look like pyjamas. So I'm walking down the street in my pyjamas. It's quite a long way. And you just think, I just, just let me get back to the house. Just let me get back in the house. Mm. Did you ever do it when you were a kid and you had to bring your pyjamas to your swimming lesson? The survival course. What? You have to jump in the pool in your pyjamas and it weighs you down. You have to tread water for a certain amount of time, show that you can survive. And then you use the trousers from your pyjamas, you tie knots in them and to make a float. We established a long time ago on this podcast that the swimming pools you went to... <laughs> <laughs> With no heavy petting. <laughs> were very different to the swimming pools... I went to no, but yours, then we established that it was actually quite similar to almost everybody out there. Yours had no heavy petting at your swimming pools, mm. and you jumped in with your pajamas on. That didn't happen at no, my but that was a, a legitimate sort of survival. You know, you do it when you're a kid. I was only little. You do these little survival skill badges, don't you? You have to jump in with your pajamas and then tread water so that you can survive really? with clothes on if you fall in a lake or a something. I've never heard of that. Oh well, yeah, and then you tie up the bottom of the pajamas. So the the tra you take the trousers off, you tie up each end of the leg, and then you 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 lift it up, and then you throw it onto the surface of the water, so the air gets trapped in the legs, and then you tie it up, and then you got yourself a little float. It's not going to last that long because the water will go through, <laughs> <laughs> but you got yourself a good thirty seconds of not dying. <laughs> so <laughs> it's a wow. lot of effort for thirty seconds of life. Um, but yeah, we did, well, I think I'm remembering that maybe slightly wrongly. I mean, my mum's a swimming teacher, so she'll know better. But it, it, well, it's that disclaimer, isn't it? I think the, the state we're in at the moment, 
anything we say in this podcast should be taken with a rather large pinch of salt. Oh yeah, so we should we should maybe record something to put at the beginning, like a warning. <laughs> yes, a warning. <laughs> please, Listen with care. Please, <laughs> please do not take too much of what we say seriously, because we definitely did this. And we should say, and I, no alcohol was involved today. It's not like no. we ran for an hour, downed a few pints with a couple of bottles of wine or some mulled wine, and then walked sort of staggered back. No. We haven't even had any alcohol. That might have given us more energy. Maybe that was. <laughs> I've just got a cup of tea with me, which I've is excellent, warming me up. I've got a cup of. So, have you had any nice Christmas presents? Oh well, <laughs> I actually had one and I opened it. I shouldn't have opened Did it. Did you? Do you know what? It was from you. Was it? I haven't got you anything yet because I was going to get. Not- you- I did notice that. By we've had the whole day to get it. Hasn't appeared. <laughs> I was going to get you something from Chile, but then Ooh. everywhere I was looking. Well, oh no! Don't be interested now. I'm back from Chile. I well, didn't no, get t- you anything. T- tell me your your because I didn't know this about this came up. Well, a lot came up during our hour run. Um, right. What is Chile famous for exporting? Because I didn't know this. Copper. And, and salmon. There you go. Didn't know that. Yeah. And also, they don't like chili. As in, they don't really like a lot of spice. It's like no spice in their food, really. At all. Really? Yeah, and weird. fish is the big thing. There. Salmon, well, copper. They've got a lot of copper mines. But salmons. Yeah, exactly. So I should have asked them about the suspicious salmons. It's <laughs> <laughs> another another That's back another... podcast reference. And when we should say, I don't know if the suspicious salmons have made it, but we've got um, a highlights episode that we're going to be bringing to you over Christmas. Yeah, they have. <laughs> suspicious salmon. Suspicious salmon in the yes. highlights. So we've got a highlights. We'll tell you more about it later. But we've got a, a highlights episode going out of a Christmas. Some of the best bits that well made us smile and other people have said have, have made them smile. So you didn't bring me back anything from Chile. Well, no, because when I was, I don't know. Were I was you too to drunk something? on the all-inclusive cocktails? <laughs> <laughs> I did drink most days. <laughs> but because of the all-inclusive nature of the hotels, I didn't really leave that much. So when we were in Santiago, I went to markets specifically looking for some Something for you but basically the best thing I could find was a poncho and I thought that you probably just wouldn't <laughs> really want a poncho as much as it's very Chilean and that's great um I just thought you're just gonna go thanks very much and then use it as a rug or something I think I would have liked a poncho you think you would have worn a poncho I think I, well, would I like a proper gaucho's poncho I've, I may have well every time I saw you I may have I may have worn it when I saw you just so you think I wore it do you have those kind of presents oh, that someone yeah. buys you something? You have to find them. And you become saying, get oh, it out. Oh God, where is it? Where is it? Put it on, put it on. So um, it may have been a bit of that. Something something on the mantelpiece or something in a cupboard. But it would, have been get the, it, out. it would have been the thought that counts. Right, okay. Well, no, no, it's not Christmas yet. So I've still got time. But today would have been an ideal opportunity to give you something. But I haven't been able to because my big thought was getting something from Chile. And it, that fell through. I'm not going to lie. Because you were too drunk. Because I was quite drunk. We weren't really <laughs> in the hotels. <laughs> And yeah, and then as I say, all I could really come up with was a, was a poncho, which I didn't think was a good effort. So did you like your Christmas present? So anyway, back to your Christmas present, <laughs> you got me. So yes, I get it. Brownie points for you. Well done. Um, but it was awesome. So I now have, for the first time ever in my life, I have a Christmas tree in my home. Decorated, yeah. lights, baubles. It had this sort of star sort of sash running thing that I kind of wrapped around it which was great and um, yeah you got a Christmas tree not only posted to me the Christmas tree was posted through the letterbox to me it was amazing when I saw it I just thought this is the most incredible thing it's a it's a Christmas tree with everything on it so you couldn't use the excuse of I had no lights I didn't have any baubles I'm not interested in this thing everything was in the packet to make you a fully fungi- and you can plant it so at the end of Christmas you can plant it and you can dig it up next year and have another Christmas tree can I just keep it in a pot? I don't have a garden I don't know just keep it in a pot maybe. keep it in a pot keep it going but it's, it's great I mean it's a little but you've never had a Christmas have you ever 
I've never had a Christmas tree, not in my own home, at my parents' house. We we used to have it. But Sven, <laughs> be quiet. Buddy, this is about as lively at? as our Christmas party has got. Sven <laughs> Shut up, buddy. Um and yeah, so the Christmas tree's great. Yeah. But it, I mean, would we say it's a miniature Christmas tree? Well, it's not six foot. No, it's not six foot. It came through your letter. Came through your letterbox. It's a it's a foot. Should we say it's one a foot tall? Yeah, something like that. Yeah. So it's a miniature Christmas tree. Yeah. It's absolutely beautiful. I love it. And uh, but it does mean that because you got to get presents to go underneath the tree, right? So yeah. now I have to get mi- miniature presents for everyone. So. You can get big ones. So you get those teeny tiny books. Get some of them for bed no, or something. Just get, just get big ones. Still, big well, it dwarf that you won't be able to see the it, tree. If you put that around the tree, you won't be able to see the tree. Tree, haven't you? Can you can raise the tree. Oh, right. Put it on a stool. Yes. Make it the centrepiece yeah. and then put your presents around it. Okay. Yeah, See? it's looking like a bit of a makeshift Christmas, but okay. All right. At least I, <laughs> I bought love it. the tree. I bought you something. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you for the Happy tree. Happy Christmas. Oh, thanks. So what's what's happening in the tennis world? Do you know what? I still haven't really caught up. I've been back for a week. Well, I know I have caught up, but mm. I don't feel You're detoxing like now, aren't you? Oh, what from the the drink all inclusive cocktail? <laughs> yeah. No, I was detoxing from tennis, and now I'm detoxing from holiday mode. But no, I'm caught up on kind of news within tennis. Yeah. But I don't feel immersed. So if you said to me today, right, you got to go commentate tomorrow, I'd be kind of thinking, oh, I'm discombobulated here. I don't know who's coaching who and what's going on. What I thought was interesting was our lunch yesterday. So it's the ATP Tennis Radio lunch. So we had um, Arv Palmer was there. Miles McClaggan was there, Barry Cowan, and among others. But it wasn't that tennis heavy in terms of what we were talking about. I mean, there was there was politics in there. There was all sorts of weird conversations came up during the day. But one of them was interesting. We got onto the, the greatest player of all time. Yeah, we did have one good chunk of tennis chat, which got kind of, you know, people got stuck in, didn't they? And, and who would be your, and this argument of... You know, if Djokovic just keeps on going, keeps racking them up, is it them, him? If Nadal wins another 10 French Opens, does it have to be him? And there was quite an argument for, well, no, it can't be. And how can he be considered? Because he's won the majority of them on, on one surface. So it was actually really interesting that we've been talking about, I say, all sorts of random. We had royal gossip. We had strange stuff. We had politics. And then a really just good bit of discussion. And it was also about the this next and this new breed coming through. Here, everybody is still sticking with the old guard for winning the biggest trophies next year. Yeah, it's this. It's kind of every we hear the conversation so much, don't we? The, the next gen is now. They're here. They're ready. And then it's okay. What are your predictions for the slams next year? Well, Djokovic and Nadal, and probably Djokovic and possibly Djokovic again. Maybe Nadal. And then if neither of them win, then probably Fed. <laughs> and you think oh right really it's time for next gen is it it's, it's a funny sort of thing because people have been caught out haven't they it was a couple of years ago when um Zverev started coming through yes he's ready he's gonna take them yeah. on and then it just hasn't really happened I mean they are edging closer they're definitely closer now than they've ever been before but still I mean surely your money's got to be on Djokovic and Nadal for most of the slams next year and everyone was, they had arguments for certain players and, and some of them were thinking with their heads, some were thinking with their heart. But when I put that question out there, if you had to get one of the players, they're all at the peak of their powers, to play a set of tennis and your life depended on it. I think everyone, right? Everyone said Djokovic. Yes, but I think that the quest, the, the answer changes with how the question develops. So if you said somebody to play a set... Then I think Djokovic, everybody said Djokovic, didn't yep, they? I everyone, think we'd all yep. be on board with that. I think there was, there, was, there, was, there was one who hesitated on Nadal just because he gives you 
everything every time he steps out on court but then when it was just highlighted all of them at their very very best they did switch to Djokovic so is that basically saying that with Djokovic one time out of 50 he might just fall a bit flat whereas Nadal's just never going to do that you're just always going to get that machine Nadal machine the work ethic the everything whereas we've seen from Novak Djokovic this year around Indy Wells and Miami he, he was quite disinterested and he admitted he was disinterested because he was focusing on other things whereas you feel every time Nadal steps out if he's playing a tournament and there are some he doesn't play for various reasons that he's going to give you 700% but when it was sort of all of them at the peak of their powers then it was it was Novak Djokovic who was coming out again and again but so you're saying okay one set's fine but if you're pushing that further it might not be Djokovic well yeah well what if it was a whole tournament Probably I'm, still, I'm still Djokovic. <laughs> so, as the question <laughs> develops, uh, so when okay, when wouldn't it be Djokovic? Uh, With I that kind of question, if it was a point, somebody to play a point Ooh. for your life. So then you've got differences. It's somebody returning, probably Djokovic. Is it somebody? <laughs> <laughs> so, this is the thing. Right? How can you argue that he's not the greatest of all time when he's the answer to all these questions? Um, Sven is still singing in the background. I think what I think he's trying to say Djokovic. He's just enjoying the Christmas party for yeah. <laughs> He wants to go out for another hour's run. Yeah. <laughs> Sven, we're not coming. How is he we're not out. as tired as us? I, how, how could he not be tired? I mean, uh, he pretty much ran the whole way there and the, and the whole way back. But yeah, I think if it was a point on serve, might you go for Federer? Yeah, quite possibly. Definitely uh, wouldn't be Nadal. I still... Oh, I still I find it very hard to veer away from Djokovic. All mm. of them at the peak. Yeah, I suppose so. I think, yeah, he's probably... I mean, look, he could arguably play for another few years. And that's the interesting thing about the conversation because really it tends to be the conversations between Djokovic and Federer because Nadal has been so specialised on one surface. I mean, obviously, he has won on other surfaces, so he has ticked the boxes, but it's not like he's been... Dom- he's never been as dominant as Djokovic no. or Federer because... Djokovic was holding all four slams. Nobody else has done that before. You know, Federer's been... But then actually you can argue, Federer, it's not like he won Roland Garros a few times, did he? He only managed to do it. And uh, I think that's definitely a difficult... Actually, yeah, maybe it's just Djokovic because he's the only (laughs) all-rounder. I'm just leaving you to it and I'm just enjoying it. Well, because it, the conversation was between Djokovic and Federer, wasn't it? And the was... argument against Nadal was that he's, well, if he's got 12 Roland Garros, that's not fair. That's just one tournament. It, it, I, I think, you know, I think what it is with Sven, because he met he met the twins a little bit earlier, because they've, they've gone off to play tennis. Yeah. And I made the error, and hopefully, hopefully he'll never listen to the podcast, but I said to one of the boys, well, this is Naomi, and Naomi played tennis, and she's better than your coach at tennis. And I thought, why have I said that to a four-year-old? Because what they repeat, so he'll go up to his coach yeah. and say, my mummy's friend. And it's true. I mean, I'm speaking the truth. You are better than him at tennis. I mean, that's, Thank you very much. But, but it's not the kind of thing, you know, my mummy said that her friend is better than you. It's like, oh, Lord. So I probably shouldn't have said that. So I think they've gone off to play tennis, and I think Sven is probably missing them. I'm just that. chuffed they're enjoying their tennis. They were really excited to go. But I was I was I was telling you and 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 Arv yesterday, Arv Palmer yesterday that, and I'm not one of these parents that think they're going to be Grand Slam champions or anything. But they got little sort of scorecards, like termly what they got for everything, and there's sort of 15 different categories. And the only thing I was disappointed was for ball collecting. I got a five out of ten. 
He's so good at ball collecting. Mm. I mean, he puts them all in his shirt. He staggers around like he's drunk because he's got so many balls. And he only got a five. Mm. That's a shame. It's a shame. Ball collecting's the best bit. And when you're that age, I used to love it. Also very important. So I was a little bit disappointed with the five. Yeah. But I thought, you know what? I'm going to let it go. <laughs> because, because they're four. And we'll just hope that his ball collecting continues to be good. Yeah. Well, how did they go with the nativity? Because that was their oh. most recent responsibility. Cow and a sheep. Cow and a sheep. No they, ball collecting. No ball collecting. No words. No lines. Okay. No, which is I that think a good is, thing? Yeah, I think <laughs> no, no one in the year had a line. And I think that's... Because they're but in the still first a good thing. sort of reception-y... Okay. Yeah. I think that's a good thing not to give... Just try and keep them still to, for yeah. a while. And, that's and there was a lot of yawning. So, you know, the funniest moment was, so they're great. We had a cow and a sheep and they got a little bit bored towards the end looking around. The best moment was Mary was in year, I don't know, let's say year two, year one or two. So they give Mary the baby. It's just a doll wrapped in a blanket. Yeah. And there's a little... I mean, if it was an actual baby, that'd be great. There's, there's, um, this is actually Jesus. There's the little cradle for, for baby Jesus and there's Joseph next to her. So everyone's there. And there's a song about Mary and Joseph and everyone's like, it's quite upbeat. And she rocks the baby and so it rocks yeah. it and places the baby in the cradle and then I, I couldn't stop. so in the church it's all quite a serious affair so Mary rocks the baby and then just lobs it into the cradle <laughs> <laughs> and then literally no, done with that it was like it was on fire she just dropped it tonight I'm trying not to laugh so baby Jesus has gone head first into the cradle his legs are now sticking up out of the cradle <laughs> and I'm thinking look away from the cradle so, so Mary, yeah, she still needs to learn about baby handling, but at the age of like six, I'm thinking it's probably not something she's done a lot of, but wow. it was just the way she literally threw the baby into the crate. Oh, I love that. <laughs> that is great. But it was, there was a couple of children that got, it all got quite overwhelmed by the situation, but my cow and sheep were good as cow and sheep can be. Yeah. They didn't even have to make a noise. Good outfits. Kind of a sheet with a sort of a head, they had like a headband with a sheep on it uh -huh. and one with a cow so it's, it's quite simple but you knew what they were yeah. well that's the point right that's yeah. it that's and let's say they yawned a little bit they staggered a little bit when they got tired but they, it's fine we we got through the did they enjoy it that's quite a strong word for four. They had to do it. It was mandatory. I think they had to do it. I think it, it probably went on a little bit long. And there's lots of different performances. So I think by the end they were like, I just, I just don't want to be a sheep or a cow anymore. So what's the news then? Tennis the news, world. You know, the, the um, and I, I, I want to talk to you about pre-season. I don't know how these people do it. I mean, it looks brutal. I know it's necessary. It look, And I know they're largely doing it in wonderful places. Dominic Team's doing his in Miami. And you get lots of shots of the beautiful water and the beaches, but the work that goes into it. But the, um, the coaching merry ground, especially on the WTA tour, continues. It's We've got flying. Wim Fassett now with Naomi Osaka. Yeah. And Wim Fassett, I mean, he's been with some very high-profile players. Yes, he has. Quite a few top tenors. Osaka, another one. Very experienced. But all of them, I say all, maybe I'm mistaken, but most of them for a short amount of time. I th I'd say thinking all of them. one sure. season, maybe tops two. It's not, I don't really feel like he's had kind of a you know long-term relationship. De definitely not recently, anyway. So maybe, I don't know, maybe that's what she's looking for or maybe it's going to be different this time, I'm not sure. But I feel like it's, he's the Jose Mourinho. Of, of tennis coaches Josie Mourinho never goes past three seasons it all sort of yeah. falls to pieces and off he goes again and and Winfrey he goes in and he makes a difference and I know there was a, he went back to Azarenka but when she had problems with the custody they decided to separate because you couldn't travel on the tour but it it doesn't Johanna Conta 
was was one and I think Simona Hallett may have been one and yeah it, it's pretty but he Kerber Kerber and 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 the strange thing is he he goes and gets results and they are playing so well and winning Grand Slams and then suddenly mm. that relationship I mean but you've touched on and talked about I mean the coaching player relationship I mean wow is that a is that a minefield? I mean, and that's it's a thing. so complicated, isn't it? But actually, I mean, a lot of those players, when he started working with them, you could say that they were players that had already achieved a certain level, but then they'd just maybe fallen back a step. If you think about Conta, that was when she was down lower. Uh, or what, No, actually, it wasn't when she was down lower. She was kind of starting to struggle. Yeah. Um, uh, and then she ended up going down lower uh, in the end. And then Osaka... I would imagine I think she's definitely playing. She's she's taking a bit of a dip. I don't think it's anything to panic about. I think some people are thinking, "Oh, she's not playing great." Like that's not true. Do you think it, she'll win a Grand Slam again? I don't know. I don't. I just. But, I don't know. But isn't it interesting to say that when you think how she, won two she in a went row. on that run and she went two on the row? It was absolutely incredible. And yet, when I asked that question, there is a hesitation. Yeah, hundred percent. But I mean, Kerber, she had dropped down into the twenties when she started win for set. So he's almost become this sort of I'm the guy that gets people back to their best sort of thing uh, I'm not sure if that's entirely accurate for everyone particularly Conta because maybe that was slightly different but it's almost you know you can kind of put you put your faith in that and look when Osaka was at her best she won two slams back to back first time anyone had done that in years so I don't know a bit I mean after she won those two slams people were talking about him sorry talking about her dominating weren't they just I mean Sven, Sven's distracting now. What are you doing? He's just, he's just crawling around the room, isn't he's he? He's just crawling. He's having a great time. I think he's just enjoying himself. He's just, he's having a, he said, look, this is a Christmas party. This is, this is how we're enjoying ourselves. Well, one of us is going to be sort of lively and have fun. We've just been sort of walking, running and getting wet. <laughs> Sven, Sven's making the most of it. And we appreciate that, Sven. And we thank you for that. <laughs> I think um, one of the more... Because during the tour finals... I don't know if you knew him before, but I didn't know him before. We got to know a little bit Marcos Bagdatis. Yes. Because we had the Cypriots next to us in the commentary box. And obviously their man, Stefan Sitspas, went through to the end and, and won the thing. And there's that wonderful clip on social media of doing the commentary at the end. And Marcos Bagdatis was actually in tears at the end of the commentary. And he, he couldn't speak. And then he was down on the court chatting to the family. He knows them all very, very well. But then suddenly you see that Marcos Bagdatis has joined team... Alina Svitolina, which I, know. I just, I mean, I, I wouldn't have seen that one coming in a million years. Yeah, I mean, I kind of, no idea how that would have come about. And they seem quite different in their sort of approaches to certain things. So I'm just really not sure what, uh, you know, where that, where that would have come from. But I mean, Marcus is, I mean, he was great, wasn't he, when we were chatting to him, because he was next door to us. He just O2. had a new little baby, hadn't he? Oh, had he? Just had a little bit, and he was talking about, and I said, how is it? He said, well, I'm getting a lot more sleep here. <laughs> oh, <laughs> uh, that's the way. Uh, that does happen. But what, what from, from knowing him as a player, and as I said, I don't know if you knew him as a person on tour, what do you think he can bring or add to Svitolina? I don't know. I mean, maybe the element of flair. He was quite a flair-based player. He liked to inject pace. He liked to really enjoy himself on the court. I wouldn't really put him in the camp of being kind of the ultimate worker in terms of just super disciplined really really hard working which you probably would say about Svitolina she that's what she likes to do but maybe if she's going to bring that then he can just add a little bit of flair to her game and she might get to go a little bit further in slams because I mean he reached a final of the Australian Open so 
you know, maybe she can take that sort of inspiration. I'm not sure. Does she need the, maybe the lightness, therefore? Because she is very serious. And her relationship with Gail Monfils, and we know he likes to joke and, and have fun. So do you think maybe, and I don't, you know, Andrew Bettles, her, her main coach, her head coach. But do you think she needs maybe the lighter side of things? Because you're away for long stretches. It's a long, long year. Maybe it's just something that, and Marcus Bagdatis always has a smile on his face. He yeah. seems like a lovely fellow. He has fun. He can also be very serious. He was also a very good tennis player. Mm. So maybe he'll just, I don't want to say sort of loosen up. Do you know what I mean? Just give her that, just lighten things up a little bit. Well, I think what's quite interesting is that she had the formula with Bettles being an... Uh, an assistant coach or slash hitter slash traveling coach when he when she was working with uh Asioni, he was the main coach and she would kind of go to him do some training know what to work on he'd be watching the matches and give her some feedback and that sort of thing and Bettles would be the person implementing it doing the day-to-day working incredibly hard uh, because Asioni didn't really want to travel um as much as, as as Bettles was happy to do so that worked for a time and then uh, that stopped, didn't it? Um, and that was at some point last year. And Bettles got promoted to being head coach. So now I find it interesting. She's done over a season with Bettles as head coach. I think it's been relatively successful. She's had her best Grand Slam appearance by reaching the semi-finals. She's still a well-established top ten player. But the choice to now get somebody else involved again, I think, is a really interesting one. So I don't know whether that combination of it just being her and Bethel's maybe that didn't work maybe she wants something else or maybe she's looking for something else in her game I'm not sure but it's interesting that she had the formula of two coaches went down to one and is now going back to two with still Bethel's being very much involved do you think and I might be this might be a load of rubbish talking nonsense but coaches who haven't played to a high level, like Andrew Bettles, if we're comparing to Marcus Bagdatis, are at a slight disadvantage because Bagdatis can bring something that Bettles can... I'm only using these examples in front of us. Can bring something that Bettles never can because Bagdatis has been in that situation at those moments. Yeah, and I just think it's a combination, isn't it? It's, it's about having skills. No one has all of the answers. Even if you took somebody like Roger, who you know people would argue is the greatest of all time, or Djokovic, who people might confirm is the greatest of all time. <laughs> who knows? But if they, you know, even those players, it's not like they know how to communicate. They might not know how to create the perfect environment for that individual player. You know, they, yeah, they might know a lot about forehands and backhands and the tennis that's actually played on the court, but that can only take you so far. So somebody like an Andrew Bethels may be better at, at that than actually getting somebody prepared for a match in terms of getting them in a good mood, making sure they feel good, making sure everything's taken care of, being the ultimate professional, that sort of thing. So I like the um, multi-coach approach. And I... Oh, it rhymes. <laughs> How about that? I'm on it today. Um, the multi-coach approach. Glad one of us is. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to nab that. That's a great idea. Um, but I, I actually quite like the way that Kamal Murray's been doing it for a little while, where he, I think we mentioned this before, but he is a coach and he has an assistant coach. And then essentially, if you want to work with Kamal Murray, you work with him and his assistant coach. So they are kind of a package deal. It's almost like you employ the team. And it's similar to, say, I imagine in football, you know, a new manager comes in and they bring with them a lot of coaches they trust, a lot of backroom staff they trust. They'll also keep some of the current staff because the players know them and that sort of thing. But it's about that balance. I think very rarely does a new manager come in and just take brings no one of their own 
sort of that, that they know and that they trust and i think that's almost a better way of doing it rather than piecing each player has to always piece people together because it's very difficult for the teams to to gel but i do like the multi-coach approach he just wanted to say it again <laughs> can i say it again <laughs> just wanted to say it again oh. now we are the is this is the what, 17th of december Yes, I think we are now. So in terms of, and I know that people start at slightly different times depending on what they've been doing or if they've had an extra one, if they're playing the Davis Cup, etc., whatever, whatever. But where would you expect a player to be now in their pre-season? They've got the racket in their hand. That's the bit that they all enjoy. That's why they do all of the physical work, but they've probably had a bulk of rest bulk of physical work and now they're getting back on court improving the game racket in hand hitting balls and I bet it feels so good very stiff very tired <laughs> pretty much empty at breaking point. that's what it is you're kind of at breaking point and then they say yeah but tomorrow you're gonna play tennis and you think oh this is my job this is what I do this is why I'm doing all of this I want to play so then you just push that extra little bit so you can get back on the court the next day and a number of the players majority of the players will go abroad I know you spent time out at IMG in, in pre-season and Andy Murray actually cancelled his block in Miami because of a, a groin problem but what is the advantage to warm weather training why can't you just knuckle down here because if you're in a gym you're in a gym whether it's Miami or South London and a tennis court is, is a tennis court. So why are they opting largely to be out? Although it's nicer to be out. We just walk for an hour and run an hour in the rain, but to be out in the sunshine. Is, that, is it simply just because of conditions? Yeah, I mean, well, it's that. And it's also a grouping for a lot of players. So it's an attraction. So when you're at IMG, you've got about 15, 20 players. You know, top professionals will use that as their base. So if you need someone to hit with, play practice sets with, it's all they're readily available um, but there are advantages to staying at home as well I know Joe I saw Joe Conter at the National Tennis Centre the other day she's doing her off season here um, so she has a, a lot less options of hitters so she's going to have to try and get her own hitters in which is more difficult uh, but she just wants to be at home that's it that that's you so know it's sometimes it's just you know you've had a long year traveling and actually it would be better for you and your well-being to be at home so i did a bit of both i you, did some away and some at home so you've done both so okay then what's the what's the difference training at img did do the americans train in a very different way is exactly the same you've got your own coach out there so you're just in a different place basically you're just in a different place i mean a court's a court isn't it but you've got the sunshine so that makes everybody feel a bit better it's a bit easier it, it's it's more about the ease you're probably going to stay right on site or very close to site so you can walk in it's like a camp isn't it yeah fundamentally. it's like a camp you've got other players around you've got a huge gym you've got players from other sports as well there's a big atmosphere as well there are other court there are coaches you can tap into there might be coaches and you might ask them to come and look at something specific that sort of thing so it's it's just, it's it's an individual sport. And ultimately, yeah, you can go somewhere completely by yourself. You can have a, coat, a court in your back garden and use that as your off season and just be there by yourself and just bring in some hitters or hit with your coach. That's fine. But I think players prefer to just kind of feel the vibe from everybody else. And you've got courts and everybody working hard and then people are in the gym and it pushes you, pushes them. Uh, and again, I mean, the conditions are just better. And ultimately... It will be a shock to the system going to Oz 
and doing the off season uh, sorry and starting uh tournaments there because it's gonna be hot it's their summer i don't find it a shock to the system when i go to australia in january <laughs> just <laughs> desperate to go it's a no it's it's as as we've talked about it, it's very hard for me now i've got a family it's very hard to leave them and to explain why you're going and, and where you're going and, and for the twins big tennis is when i'm not coming home every night little tennis is when i'm coming back so that's the very difficult side to it but once you've made the decision and you're there i mean melbourne in in january is it's a beautiful thing and i know why they call it the happy slam because everyone is like first day back at school i know there's been we've got the atp cups it's not the first one but it's the first grand slam when largely everyone is together they are so happy. So players that you might be trying to get an interview at the Davis Cup at the end of the year or the Tour Finals or at Paris who might be a little bit kind of, uh, and dismissive and they don't want to, wow, everybody wants to talk. They're kind of running around in the back corridors and like, how are you? And I haven't seen you. And so I get so together with the weather. I know Melbourne, it can change by something like 40 degrees <laughs> throughout the day, which <laughs> is just weird. But everyone is happy and ready to go back. Maybe it's because pre-season's behind them they can finally just get stuck in with what's ahead yeah i think so i think people want to see how their improvements have panned out you want to get some rewards for the work that you've put in everybody loves the tournament i mean it's a great event isn't it the way they do it it's so so good and uh, yeah i think people are, are raring to go i mean look we always talk about how come the season post us open players are starting to flag they're starting to look yeah. less interested yeah. less up for press less up oh. for <laughs> all these bits and pieces you know it just becomes more difficult so naturally they're just going to be much fresher at the beginning of the year so you do really have that happy slam vibe people are excited to be back they're raring to go i mean players love to compete that's what they're doing there it's not like it's a drag but in the off season if you realistically how much if you want to change a few if you've got a list of things you would like to change or tinker with realistically how much can you change in a preseason do you have to focus on one thing or do you have enough time to make i don't want to say drastic but multiple changes if you are really thinking hang on there is a lot not let's say you've got a new coach and they come in with different ideas how much can you actually change in that space of time it's just about the hours in the day to be honest it's about how many weeks you've got and the hours in the day because you might be a player is that sven again sven He's getting into the party spirit. I think he wants to go for another run. Yeah, I know. Fancy taking him. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know why he's not tired. This is so I don't know. I mean, I, I don't think I'm ever getting up off the sofa again. It's going to be a real struggle. <laughs> I think for... Um, not even kidding. I'm not, I know you're not. When you leave, I'm just going to sit here and wave. Looking at your face, I believe. I'm not, I'm not walking <laughs> to the door. I'm just going to wave from here. But with, uh, with off-season, essentially, some people will work hugely on the physical side and then do kind of one technical thing so others will work more on the technical side than the physical side I mean you've basically you've only got a certain amount of hours and you need to get things done some players will turn up at the beginning of the season being a touch unfinished just needing one or two weeks more because it's a very short off season uh, so that means they, they might be turning up still quite tired they haven't quite done the the, the train the detraining the training down um so that they can try and peak for tournaments uh whether they've if they've been working on physical stuff for example or technically it just might not quite be embedded yet so they might be out on court doing a lot of basket drills a lot of repetitions trying to get it still there but it just depends i mean as i say if you're someone who needs to work on physical stuff it's what you're going to focus on so I think, well, I mean, ultimately they've got four weeks, haven't they? It's not long, is it? It's, it's not a long amount of time to 
get something to the point where you can just turn up to a match, not think about that thing that you're working on, and it's just there for you. And there's already exhibitions taking place. Yes, and not only there for you, but there for you in big moments, pressure moments, match points, tight moments, deep in the third. You know, is it going to be reliable? Something that's that brand new to your game. So there's a yeah, there's an awful lot to go on, um, and then before you know it, you're at a slam. So. It better be sorted by then, that's for sure. So sometimes I think players the first couple of weeks might not quite be ready. Others are just chomping at the bit. They are fresh. They tend to be the players who've been focusing mainly on physical work, I find. They, right, they're okay. kind of really ready because they know. They know they're in great shape. They know they're feeling better than ever and they just want to just let me go just unleash it and they can just I don't know how you it. can be in great shape after Christmas I just, <laughs> I've just never understood that because we were talking today and we went for our run living it up in our Christmas party mm. but generally been trying to do a little bit of that because we know that maybe not for the entirety of the next couple of weeks there's gonna be a lot of eating there's gonna be a lot of drinking Christmas parties you're out to meet a friend this evening it's what happens at this time of year so to think of starting January in your best your peak physical condition it just it doesn't make any sense coming off the time of year that it is no the rest of the world isn't doing that are they we've got we've got <laughs> mince pie biscuits yeah. which I'd never heard of I know very good which, which are quite nice yeah. and we've got some other gold star chocolate things chocolate which are excellent things that are like um like Frere Rocher Nutella sort mm. of inside, which and they're sitting in front of us. All this good work we've done today. We had a big lunch, and <laughs> we've come back to these. And I just, yeah, the thought of, but you know, maybe that's why. Maybe, is that another reason? Maybe they go away from home, so they go away somewhere completely different. I think, as I say, if I went somewhere like Miami and you're doing all the training out there, you've got to get in that state of mind, haven't you? Yeah, it's just, it's just what they want to do. Some people will fly their families out, and mm. and or something like Andy. I mean, he's trained in Miami in his off season so often yeah. that it's almost like a second home for him. Like his, you know, he's got friends there; they're well established. They know where they're at. I mean, it's not a second home, but you know, if you're there every year for kind of a six week block it's like if you go somewhere for the summer or something it's almost it's like a holiday sort of home and I'm sure you know Kim knows her way around Miami like the back of her hand and all the staff do so that's quite nice you do get that familiarity but um yeah I don't know where would you pick anywhere in the world you could do your off season doesn't need to be at altitude we discussed that last time I know I don't think it'd be very good at altitude it could be anywhere so some so we get lots of players in Dubai We've got a lot in Florida. It's very popular Florida, isn't it? They've got a lot of space. There's lots of courts. Lovely weather. Great weather. Flat. That time of year. It's pretty horrendous yeah. in August yeah. in terms of the humidity. Ugh. But this time of year. I've done nice. that in uh, never again. Can I can I see the Maldives? <laughs> There's Maldives. I'm not sure how many tennis courts there are there. Well, you can. De- there are definitely islands with a f- tennis mm. court on. Necker Island. A few players have been out there for Richard Branson's gig. He does a little tennis party for the oh, week in Jack Necker Sock Island. Jack Sock was out there. Who oh, was recently he? engaged... Jack Sock. Yeah. I'd just like to say now I'm not picking Jack Sock as my comeback player. No? Next year. Oh, okay. We, yeah, but he's now going to be thinking about his wedding. So you don't think he's going to come back next year? No, I think he's going to come back, but I don't think he's going to be comeback player of the year. I think he's still going right. to... I think he's going to get himself a ranking, which he currently doesn't have. But I don't think... I'm going to be talking about him as, as comeback I think that's fair enough. And then what else do people do? Uh, some go to Australia early. So they'll just go out maybe a few weeks early, mid-December, probably about now-ish. They'll just go to Australia, then they end up spending the rest of December yeah, and January Yeah, I would there. just say it, it, that's too far. If you're coming from sort of this side of the world. But you're going to was anyway. Yeah, but so that's just... There's no extra trip. No, but it's 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 a it's 
being away for a long period, I mean, you guys are on the road long enough anyway, so I'm not sure whether I'd extend it that much. I think I'd I'd stay a bit closer to home, I think. Right. And I'm gonna South say, of France? Miami. Uh, <laughs> it's not that close to home, is it? It's closer than Australia. Yeah, I, th- I, don't, I wouldn't go that far because I think you're there for long enough and the season, the year is long enough. I don't think I'd go out there too early. And, and also, I think if I went out there really early, once it started, I'd probably be a bit fed up with it. Right. I think I'd rather sort of arrive when needed and then be like, this is brilliant and I'm here. Mm. Where was your favourite place to do pre-season? Home. Was it? Yeah. It's interesting. Yeah. Well, you're on the road all year, aren't you? So yeah, again, yeah. it's just nice to kind of be at home. And I've always really liked kind of grey, miserable weather. Maybe oh, I gathered that Matches today. my personality. <laughs> <laughs> and your dogs. <laughs> and my dogs. Exactly. I gathered that today when it's grey and miserable. I was loving it. This is so exciting. You I get it. as happy about that as people do about sunshine. And as we touched on at the start, we are... It's Christmas now. Yeah. And so for the Christmas period, so just a couple of weeks, you have put together our best bits. Yeah. Best bits coming out next week. So uh, you'll hear some of that. It's our Christmas present to you after our cracking Christmas party. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks for coming. Um, And we're going to recharge and refuel. Yes. And be back at the start of the year. And it all starts again. Yes, exactly. So I'm, I'm going to go and sort Sven out because it sounds like he's quite distressed. So I don't know what he's doing, but I think he wants us to wrap it up. So have a great Christmas. Happy Christmas. Happy Christmas. <laughs>